Welcome to Extraordinary Voices for Extraordinary Times, a monthly podcast brought to you by the University of Queensland Press in collaboration with the copyright agency Cultural Fund. Jingari, my name is Ellen van Nierven and I'm a Malanjali Yugumbeh writer speaking to you from unceded Turrbal and Yagara Dargan. Each episode, Omar Saker and I take turns hosting this podcast and going one-on-one with a different poet. We invite our guest poets to write a new responsive piece in a short amount of time while also giving ourselves the same challenge. This podcast will feature readings and conversations discussing these new works and how they address current issues. We're so excited to provide a platform for poets we admire. Poetry is what we turn to in uncertain times. Poetry is a transformative force, a space for reckonings and for truth tellings. Today I'm honoured to be joined by Charmaine Paper Talk Green. Charmaine is from the Wadjuri, Badimaya and Southern Yamaji peoples of the Midwest of Western Australia. She's lived and worked in rural Western Australia most of her life and within the Aboriginal sector industry as a community agitator, artist, poet, community development practitioner and social sciences researcher. Her publications include Just Like That, Fremantle Art Press 2007, Tiptoeing Todd the Tracker, Oxford University Press 2014, a collaboration with WA poet John Kinsilla, False Claims of Colonial Thieves, published by Magabala Books in 2018, and Yagu by Kordak Books 2019 as well as numerous anthologies and other publications. False Claims of Colonial Thieves was shortlisted for the Adelaide Festival John Bray Award 2020 and the ALS Gold Medal 2019. In 2020, Charmaine won the Victorian Premier's Literary Award Poetry Category, as well as the ALS Gold Medal 2020 and was shortlisted in the Queensland Literary Awards Judith Wright Kalanthi Prize for Nana Jugul Yagu. She lives in Geraldton, Western Australia. Welcome, Charmaine. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. Your poem today is called Familiar Lines. I wonder if you'd like to read it to us and maybe say a little bit of, to introduce it. Familiar Lines? So this poem was written specifically for this podcast. It's a responsive poem and talks about the bigger and the closer to home issues here in Geraldton in Western Australia. And I'll, I'll have a read for you of it now. Familiar lines. I am here, Ngada. I am from this country, Ngada Jungle Barna. This Barna, Ngada Barnangu. There are no fucking surprises during COVID-19 here in Geraldton on Yamaji Barna. The lines on the map were drawn long ago. 6pm curfews, reserve segregation, markings on the ground known. A mask on our face is not a tape over our mouths. We cannot be silenced. Black Lives Matter, stop black deaths in custody. Black Lives Matter, justice for Miss Clark, rest in peace. Black Lives Matter, justice for Miss Jew, rest in peace. Colonial hate remains a killer. 
I am he another. I am from this country. Another jungle barna. This barna. Another barnangu. I get fidgety standing on retail floor line markings. The looks of annoyance. The looks of disbelief. Oops, that white maldu gave me a dirty look for standing too close. COVID-19 did not stop the racist online violence here in my community where they still post in cyber blood on Geraldton Neighbourhood Watch with keyboard fingers oozing hate. They want to kill us, Yamaji. I am here, Ngatha. I am from this country. Ngatha Jungobana. This bana. Ngatha Banangu. Ground markings for thousands of years. Memory into Yamaji DNA to carry onwards and forwards into time. Survival instinct of our elders. 1905 Act experiences and stories. Bush life, station life, shared in yarns, teaching passings on, giving strength. While the others stressed about toilet paper to wipe their backsides, the white Australia wheel rolled on, over us, adding extra layers of trauma, suicides in parks, prisons, communities, cyberbullying of our young ones. A pandemic stopped nothing in Western Australia. I am here, Ngatha, I am from this country, Ngatha Jungu Bana, this Bana, Ngatha Banangu. Some elders said, we be right. Remember, many ancestors survived the pandemic of colonisation. Segregation is good for us in 2020. Thank you. The Yamaji yeah. experience of COVID-19, as illustrated in your poem, feels like it's quite a contrast to, you know, the East Coast, a lot of the country like Melbourne and Sydney. And in the poem you write, the lines on the maps were drawn long ago, alluding to a previous time where Yamaji had restrictions placed on their lives and movements. And this history is cleverly weaved throughout the poem. What was the process of, of writing this poem? How long did it take you? It was actually quite fast. You know, I was thinking of how you were, you were saying, you know, be responsive to now and what was happening in the community and the types of conversations we were having. A lot of us were kind of smirking a little bit that people were getting really annoyed at um, having restrictions placed on them when we'd look back and think, well, now they get a feel for what happened to our ancestors, to being taken away, placed in places, um, being told they had to be out of town of Geraldton with the 6pm curfew, which I understand happened, you know, in lots of places in Australia. So all of these things our older generations lived under, and not only were we getting a taste of it, but so was like the rest of Australia and I think that kind of made us more able to cope with it. There is a little bit of joking coming out of it, unfortunately, with, you know, it's a, it's a very serious situation. But we were able to say, well, look, the people now get an understanding of what our people went through and they'll have that lived experience. So, you know, we're far removed from the realities of COVID-19 with the death and uh, lots of the sad things that happened or happening or is happening around it. Even though, like you said, your 
you're away from, you know, that the sadness of the, the, the deaths that this pandemic has brought. At the same time, it feels like this poem, you know, with its, with the spirit of this, you know, it, it feels like it's enthused with the rally cries and the protest poetry. And it really feels like it's a cry out for your people to be heard. Do you feel like that as well? Well, Western Australia, you know, we, we seem to be in this kind of a bubble away from the rest of Australia for some reason. Nothing's really changed in regards to the attitude towards towards Yamaji and towards Aboriginal people in Western Australia. I mean, we still have the really sad realities of young people taking their lives in prisons, of young people taking their lives out of prisons and on the streets. And the pandemic seems to have not slowed a lot of these things down. So there's still the trauma that we have to deal with with the everyday, plus this added layer of trauma. People are really scared because they don't understand what a pandemic is and tend to fear a lot of stuff and have gone into their own into their own spaces. Or a lot of Mob and Geraldton older people have chosen to go back out of town, to go inland, to go back into communities and onto stations. There, there were some assistance given for people for fuel money and financial assistance to return back onto country. So do you see this return to country as being kind of something good that's come out of all of this? It's not something that's different. Mm. It's people or lots of people are still on country all the time mm. or mm -hmm. going out hunting or going out looking for emu eggs or, or going back out to sit on country. Mm. But what happened this time was there was an element of fear of mm. being forced out of towns where there's large white populations mm. because that was a population who was seen to, to be the main people with the virus. So they were the ones. Mm. That's why I kind of say segregation is good in 2020. Yeah. Um, let's keep away. Um, our social distancing started well before being told to social distance. And I think that's a good thing. It kept us apart. And this was a good time and is a good time to be kept apart. It would be so devastating if this virus gets into these communities um, and so there's just so much that we need to do to, to stop that. It seems like that's happening uh, in WA. When I read your poem, when you sent it to me, I was really hit in the guts. Like, it's so powerful. The way that you read it is so powerful as well. And how did, how did you feel? You know, this been, it's been such an intense time. How did you feel when you finished writing it? I felt like it, these are words that needed to be heard. And I repeat, I say, I am here. Another, I am from this country. Mm. So there's this repetition, like a chant, to mm. keep strong. This is my country. We've been through a lot of things. We've still got a lot of trauma laid upon us. We've still got a lot of things to go through, but we will get through this. So this was this kind of chant going and repeating of keeping me strong as well. And I really, the way I wrote it was to, to really read it out aloud, kind of shout it to the world that, because the pandemic's happen, happening, 
a lot of these other issues haven't stopped. It's like business as usual in the Aboriginal world. We've just got these layers upon layers, but we can get through it. Our old people have. They've gone through worse than what we've we've had to tackle. So, um, you know, we rise to the challenge of everything. It would be terrible to get into our communities. And that's one of the reasons I decided not to go to Perth. For I haven't been down to Perth for nearly nine months now. It's 500 kilometres away, but that's where the larger population is. That's where people are... Um, just taking off from airports and going into nightclubs and and doing all things like that whereas I have to mix with the older Aboriginal population in my family here and if they'd got any virus like that then you know we'd be crying for them at their funeral everything that happens we do for a reason and we do for a reason to be strong if we go to my poll now and I remember having those conversations with you when we were both thinking about what we're going to write about, what we're going to respond to. And I had this really strong inkling that I was going to write about what I wrote about. And uh, when I gave it to you, because it's about something that happened a hundred years ago. And I, I remember saying to you, oh, do you think this podcast is about responding to what's happening now? And I said, do you think this is all right? And I remember you were really strong in saying, no, this is, we need to hear this today and this is still relevant. I'll say a little bit about the poem that I'm going to read. Um, it's called Freedom Matters and I was at Manjira Bar with my mum. We were told this story by Annie Sonia at her house um, about this little baby girl, five years old, who passed away at the mission in September 1896. It was the first time that I'd been told this story. Mum, I think, had heard it, heard it before. But when I heard it, it really hit me. Can't help but feel angry as well when you hear what happened to her. And it's a story that's been told by generations of Kwandamuka women. One day we were free. Then everything hurt us. Sun's out and we squeal at the ocean, rush down the hill to the beach, skipping to the water, our anchor, shells, sand, free our legs from the domestic work, the sitting under the desk, our rigid uniforms soften with wind, soften with sea, a blue tender cover, air soothing our youngest stomach. She is little for her age, sick since we've been imprisoned and this place has been renamed to Mayora Mission. She has her grandmother's legs and her father's eyes. She feels at home near the water. Her brother is with the boys let out to bathe. He is singing out, telling her how good it is to see her. At first she is frightened. She hasn't been close to her brother for three years. She hears the smiling sound of his voice. We follow her to meet the boys. She grows more relaxed. Her hands finding her brother's. 
fingers interlink, wet from swimming in the sea. It's like playtime, but then matron screams, calling our cousin the devil's spawn. We are held back. Our baby cousin is smacked. The force sends her spinning. She gasps and clutches her stomach. Matron is yelling, you will not refuse me, grabs her, violently pushes her head underwater. We are too shocked and frightened. Our hair is being cut by careless fingers. Our cousin's head emerges from the sea, crying. She is dragged to the hill. Annie's by the well, her eyes on the stick and the boot, kicking our cousin. We cry quietly. Our older sister's in the kitchen window. We think one of them will charge down the hill and help our little cousin. Annie stood up to Matron before when she tried to hit her daughters. For her disobedience, she was ordered by the superintendent to leave the grounds. Our baby cousin calls out to us. Carry me. She's losing her strength, her life. Annie is running. She picks up our cousin and holds her to her chest. Matron yells, it is none of your business. You must put her down. Matron swings her cane and takes our little cousin into the dormitory. I end the poem with a quote by the writer Dion Brand. They hate our freedom, so only freedom matters. Yeah, thank you for that, Helen. That story, you know, I, I was going to ask you on how did you and this really sad story find each other after so long after it had happened mm. and and handed down. And it's one of those things when, you know, people say to us, you need to forget about the past or it's way back then. Like we had this conversation a few days ago that this story to me is probably you know it's a story of colonial cruelty at its finest mm. it really is it's a story that belongs to so many people for the memory of that little girl and for everyone that saw her family what happened to her and it's such a sad story that it's one of those ones when you'd ask me that question that it shouldn't be forgotten and yes it's relevant now because it's relevant now because you're talking about it you got told that story we're not allowing her memory to die to leave to be part of back then it's come through to now like how did you feel about mm. writing at the actual writing process that's why I took so much uh, strength from your poem and from yarning with you because you do write about the past as it has influence on the present and your encouragement to include this poem in this podcast because although it happened so long ago, uh, when I was on the island a week ago, it really came to me very strongly and... I felt really um, upset and, you know, writing this, um, it sort of flowed out of me but not in a kind of painful way um, because it is such a painful story and I wanted to write it 
for that little girl, but also the people, the mob that that witnessed what happened and um, who lost her. You know the the injustice of it. You know this this little girl who's been flogged to death by the the white matron, and it actually went to trial, and it was found that the matron was guilty of the death, but also the mission was guilty for the conditions that they had the people, the the children, because they were all suffering from extreme malnutrition. And the little girl was found to have extreme anemia that had spread to all of her organs, including her brain. And so after this happened, they actually shut down the mission and they moved the children, the sick children, to the hospital and the other children to another mission and some of the older children were taken in to to be domestic servants and to work. It's a tragic story that shaped so many different things and history within that place. It's a beautiful, really sacred place and I very much see the Kwandamuka people as my family, you know, we're neighbouring mobs. It's a beautiful place with but very much a very sad history. Um, second mission in Queensland and, you know, there's stories being passed down by the Kwandamuka women. And when Aunty Sonia told me that story, I felt, you know, I need to do this in my way, which is this poem, and to just kind of honour this memory. Yeah, I was just shocked by it because I was thinking about what's been happening you know, I, I feel like this is a death in custody. That's what it was, you know, and we're continuing to have death, deaths in custody. Our people are the least safe with police and with people that are apparently meant to give us care, but, you know, we're the, we're the least safe with these people. And um, to sort of think about how we're in the same situation today, in some ways, as 100 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that as well. But, you know, I was really interested in just hearing from you as well around children not really understanding the consequences and or just the innocence of wanting something warm like her, her brother's smile and voice and, and touch. And then the con- consequences was this violence this really bad violence. Yeah, when I read what's in the the record, to, as told by two Kwandaruka women, Auntie Phyllis Donovan and Auntie Joan Costello, from Auntie Mabel Brown and Auntie Janie Sunflower, that you know one day the matron took all the children down to the beach to have a swim. One of the girls slipped away and was swimming with the boys. The matron, of course, found out and when she took her back home, gave her a flogging for breaking the rules. Out of this flogging, the girl died. It's just devastating, you know, just such a, just one very natural thing of wanting to to see, you know, your kin of the other gender and to have been separated and just to be on the beach, you know, for this to sort of happen in a very natural setting of wanting to to be near the ocean, I just it was just heartbreaking, you know, just that that one act of a very innocent, like you said, a very innocent moment 
has those consequences. And I think that's just something that's just repeated so much um, with our people, you know, we're just, you know, thinking about all those devastating stories of people just really just wanting the simple things, being with your family, being on country, speaking a language, practicing culture and how, you know, this has been met with violence and in some cases death is just, yeah, that's breaks my heart. How did you feel when, when you actually finished that poem and had a, like you reworked back into it and um, just getting to that point where you thought it was ready for this podcast? I did a lot of fiddling with it, like just wanting to do it justice and had conversations and, and showed Aunty Sonia and showed her daughters as well and sort of feel, felt something within me like that I'd done something right, that it was done right. Just I can't explain it. It was just a feeling but at the same time still still so sad, so just still feel very upset. Yeah, and I could hear that in your voice mm. when you were reading that. I could feel mm. I could feel how that sadness and and how you were feeling mm. in bringing this story alive in this way and bringing this memory alive in this mm. way. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for being on this journey with me this this month writing these poems. Is there anything else that you would like to say? How do you sort of see these works sitting together? I could see them interwoven. I see, like I said to you previously at a couple of times, that the way and everything we do now, we do look back. I do look back. It's really important to look back because look at the stories. When I read your poem again this morning and I was thinking about how we draw those stories and bring them for different reasons to the now. It was the same with my grandfather. He got murdered in 19, my great grandfather, he got murdered in 1917 out on a station by another Aboriginal man had shot him. And I was thinking this same, it happened back there, but it's still relevant now because I always wondered why his name was never mentioned in our family stories. Something didn't feel right. Last year or the year before, sitting in Perth at the state records and reading old colonial records, then there's the court transcript of my great-grandfather got murdered. It was like, so, something happened and that's what happened and that's relevant to the story now where we don't know anything about about our great-grandfather because he was never spoken of. So, you know, those things from the past come through and affect us. Yeah, can you describe that feeling of finding out in that particular way that that's just one of the pieces but there's probably a lot that you might wish that you, you know know about that? I got quite shocked reading that in the um, – and I'm in the middle of the city. I'm on my own. Mm. I've got no one to share that with. So mm. I immediately get on the phone and then ring a couple of cousins 500 k's away and I said, look, I just found this information. I'm telling you about it now. And, you know, they're female, uh, male cousins and they go all quiet up that on that end of the phone. 
I still haven't really had a big conversation with relatives about it because um, it's a murder and it kind of makes sense on why some people don't talk to other people yeah. in the Aboriginal community and the mm -hmm. way, you know, that's come down and, and the way violence was involved. I've enjoyed this journey with you. Yeah. And I've enjoyed the way of writing the poems and a respond, you know, doing the fast poems, the long poems, and um, responding to our feelings and our thoughts and from conversations. You know, a lot of the this poem, familiar lines, does also is also wrapped up in conversations with other people in the community okay. so from conversations so it's got that sort of link to your poem as well where you've been told a story you have having a conversation whereas i've been having these yarns and conversations with other mob in the community on well now the rest of australia get a taste of what it's been like for our people under the 1905 act yeah, I'm so glad you wrote this poem. You know, it gives us a bit of a a taste of, of yeah, Yamaji life and, you know, especially me being East Coast, to have that yeah. East Coast, West Coast conversation with you has been really, really great. I just appreciate you so much as a writer and as a person. I just, just think you're, you're so strong and so in, inspirational and so talented. And, yeah, like you said, we don't write these poems in isolation. We write them through discussion with our kin and our mob and uh, conversations and um, we carry that with us. And so it's it's an absolute honour to be published next to you, to have my poem published next to you for this edition and to have this yarn with you today. And I would encourage everyone to not only read the poems but also seek out your previous work because it's just extremely important and extremely beautiful writing um, as has been recognised with your recent awards this year. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Ellen, and good luck with everything moving on. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to Extraordinary Voices for Extraordinary Times. Don't forget to visit the UQP website, www.uqp.com.au, to read all the poetry from the series and to find out more about our featured poets. We hope you'll join us next month as Omar Seiko discusses all new work with our guest, Ali Kobi Ekerman.